Wild Lives by Phonographic. Hey, and welcome to Wild Lives by Phonographic. I'm Rochelle. It's great to have you with us. Today, we're speaking to James Rogerson, whose wild work has taken him everywhere, from Finland to the Seychelles, across his native United Kingdom to Africa and Iceland, and more recently to the tiger stronghold of Kana National Park, which is in central India. James is incredibly handy with a camera, and his work as a naturalist has given him countless opportunities to get very close to Kana's legendary tigers. Now, Kana lies in the heart of Madhya Pradesh on the northern slopes of the Satpuras. And, like other parts of the central Indian highlands, it's a mixture of rolling slopes, dense forest, bamboo groves, and then there's these sprawling golden meadows that seem to stretch as far as your eye can see. Its epic scenery and all-star cast of animals actually inspired Rudyard Kipling to write The Jungle Book. And, in fact, in the town surrounding the national park, you'll find many businesses have called themselves Mowgli, in honour of Kipling's main character. It all just adds up to an atmosphere of natural drama and magic. The park was founded in 1955, and today it consists of two main conservation areas. There's a 917-square-kilometre core zone and a buffer zone of 1,134 square kilometres. It's a huge area, and it's currently home to around 80 adult tigers and about 28 cubs. That's according to a recent monitoring exercise. Now, that's a pretty impressive number, especially when you consider that experts believe there's only 2,000 to 3,000 tigers remaining in the wild. To have over 100 in Kana is a pretty big deal. But why do tigers intrigue us so much? Why do we take our kids to the zoo to see them? And why do we use them on logos to spruik everything from breakfast cereals to bedazzled t-shirts? Personally, I think it's because everything about the tiger conveys power and dignity and mystery. But there's probably a bit more to it than that. And someone who knows a lot more about these intriguing predators is our naturalist mate, James Rogerson. James, thank you so much for joining us. Hello. In your recent work at Kana, you've come across a large number of tigers, but quite a few of them do stand out. Can you tell us about them? Uh, yeah, there are quite a few um, famous characters in Kana. So it's usually the big males that people are interested in, and one of them is known as Muna, and he is uh, a dominant male. He's about 17 years old now, and uh, he's easily recognisable because he has the letters C-A-T, uh, imprinted across his forehead. So his markings, all tigers have these unique markings and patterns. And you can fairly clearly see the word cat across his forehead. There are lots of other well-known females as well. So there's one called Mahavir, a female. He's very good at rearing cubs. And, and I think she's two twice in a row now. She previously reared four cubs hmm. a couple of years ago. And, and this season, there were four of her cubs that are now sub-adults, very confident animals, and, uh, and have been really showy and been really drawing people to Kana, in particular uh, one of the zones, there's four zones in Kana. Uh, there's one particular zone, Muki zone, and that's where these, these four sub-adults that are the uh, offspring of Mahavir female and possibly an older male called Kingfisher. Mm-hmm. He's not around anymore. And uh, he was absolutely a, a huge male. And again, another really big, confident one. Mm. So the ones that people tend to know and uh, people tend to like are the ones that show up and uh, put on a good performance and, and are seen uh, fairly frequently. Do you have a favourite? 
Uh, yeah, I do. Um, I think my favourite is actually, uh, it's one of um, Munna's sons, and there are quite a lot of them. So, you, you know, you mm-hmm. get a big male who's dominant and he moves around different areas of the park, mating with lots of females. So they, they tend to, you know, you see these sort of lineages, and there's a few of his brothers around. But this one called Chotam Munna, which means little Munna. I've seen him three years in a row. He's a bit of an underdog. Um, a lot of the guides, you know, certainly previous years, and I thought he was a bit of a joke because he's a bit of a puppy dog. Uh, <laughs> he'd run away from other tigers. Oh, really? Um, and, and, yeah, and his, <clears throat> his brother has got an older brother called Umapani, and he's pretty mean. He's pretty tough, and he'd always boss him around. And it was interesting because this season I went back and he put on like about 50, 60 kilos, and he's bigger than his older brother. Uh, and now, you know, everyone's following around, and he's like the new king of carnage. <laughs> Not, not quite to the sort of standard of his father because he doesn't have the distinctive markings and he's mm. not quite there yet in terms of size. But he's really good in terms of just ignoring the vehicles. Everybody gets good photographs with him. He sleeps in the middle of the road, so he'll just <laughs> have this tiger roadblock and tends to cause mayhem, and, uh, but you know, leaves people with smiling faces. Do you remember the very first time you saw a tiger in the wild? Uh, yeah, so that was uh, three years ago and that was in Karna. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually, I mean, in terms of a sighting, tiger sightings tend to just be fairly brief. So you'll you'll get sort of, um, you know, alarm calls possibly. Um, what do you mean by alarm calls? Your, your alarm calls of the other species, so the, the, the tiger's prey species, essentially. Mm-hmm. So things like uh, uh, the monkeys, the langur, have got a real sort of, you know, sharp uh, barking call. Spotted deer have got a really high pitched, it's almost like a scream. Mm. That can tell you where a tiger is likely to be. So you listen to the movement of the alarm calls, and then eventually, you know, you get yourself in the right place, and hopefully you'll be there when a tiger crosses the road. Mm. So the, the, the first sighting was, was one of those, it was fairly brief. It was a tiger just crossing the road, but the build up was the best thing, you know. Mm. It was, uh, you get this sort of anticipation. You can hear the alarm calls, they're heading in your direction. Everybody sort of moves their vehicles into position. And Karno in particular, they're very good about leaving space. So they, they tend not to crowd it. And unfortunately, that can happen in other parks. Mm. There can be a little bit of overcrowding. But if that happens and you, you know, you've got this, this big, massive vehicle, then the tiger's possibly not going to come out if it's a nervous yeah. one. It's not used to people. At Karno, they're very good. They tend to leave, you know, plenty of space in between the vehicles and, and this this female it was one called uh, uh, Choti Mother mm. which um, she's really she's about 10 years old mm. and she looks really young it's quite interesting there's quite a few females in the park that are her daughters that look older and, and bigger than her you could hear the alarm calls first and then put her head out of the um, out of the undergrowth look left look right you know casually sort of skip across the road yeah. and then that was it so it was very very quick um, but I mean yeah, Your heart I mean, would have been uh, jumping. It's probably not the best sighting I've ever had, but it, it, certainly the build-up and the noise was fantastic, yeah. What What do you think uh, is you, among your best sightings then, if that wasn't your best? Um, oh, I think one of the best sightings... Uh, actually, yeah, early on, so this season was uh, October, the end of October. Mm-hmm. We've got um, uh, this big male, I mentioned him earlier, Umapani, and uh, he's another son of Munna, and he killed a, a gaur. So gaur are these um, a thousand kilos of uh, cattle that uh, you find uh, you know, across India, in particular in central mm. India. And he'd managed to bring one down. He didn't actually 
see the kill, but he was busy sort of eating it in the middle of the meadow. And there were maybe eight, nine jackal trying to chase him off the camp. All the jackal howling at the same time. Incredible, high-pitched howling noise. And then uh, he was, I mean, obviously, they're not going to get, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to, managed to muscle in so the idea was that the jackal were trying to chase him away and while he was chasing one the others would run in and grab a little bit of food <laughs> it's like he hyenas. was foaming at the mouth it was you know <laughs> absolutely exhausted because he's a big tiger and tigers yeah. are not endurance animals no. you know they sprint they take something down they completely exhausted him in the end he just he walked off into the uh, into the jungle and it's like he just had enough <laughs> he came back uh, the following day the following morning because everyone went back to the same spot hope to see him again he just dragged it into the jungle dragged the whole you know. <laughs> probably wasn't an adult one but it probably wouldn't but at least they're huge animals though they are massive yeah yeah i mean to have seen him kill that would have been incredible oh yeah there are some there's, there's a uh, one particular i've not seen him because it was i think it was like five six years ago mm. there was a, a tiger called uh, uh gao sing sing means king mm-hmm. um, so he was uh, well known for killing gao and that was his his main prey so there were a lot of, you know, people who would get the chance to see, you know, a big tiger take down a, these huge animals. If, if I could choose to see something, then that would be good. Oh, yeah. Especially with their horns. Like, that's, they're like spears on top of their heads. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're massive animals. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen them chase away leopard. So they're not very tolerant of cats. You know, mm. they keep a, keep a close eye on them. And, um, yeah, when they, when they turn and they start, they've got a really weedy call, actually. Mm. Such a big animal. They've got this sort of a whist- high-pitched sort of whistling sort of call. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, <laughs> they tend to gang up on the cat or whatever it is that they don't like. You know, horns first. And uh, most things just run and flee. But yeah, They take them on. Tigers. Oh, that'd be awesome yeah. to see. So Kana is divided into several main tourist zones. There's Muki, Kana, Sahi and Kisli. And then around that, there's the buffer zones. Do you have a favourite area? Yeah, the areas, I mean, they, they, they change depending on which tigers are active where. At the moment, certainly the past few years, uh, Mucky Zone has been the best for tiger scientists. Mm. But they've all got, you know, different aspects, you know, that, that, that make them make them slightly different. So the uh, the forest can be different. So uh, Kana Zone has got a nice big sort of open meadow. Uh, Kisley, uh, lots of bamboo sort of rocky areas and mm. uh, the bucky's got a nice sort of combination of everything they've also got lots of other species like deer the, the, the well-known uh, the, the species that Khan is very famous for the barasinga mm. uh, which is uh, a species of deer commonly called a swamp deer mm. and they do they live in the swamp I mean, mm. you often see them in bodies of water and lucky zone's got quite a few nice big open bodies of water so you can see these these big especially around sort of january uh, you can see these, these huge stags with undergrowth draped off their antlers mm. trying to impress the females and on a misty morning with a fog as well which you do get quite a lot of mm. you know you go to india and you'd expect you know, hot weather and you know, it's not like that at all so in the winter months you know we had zero degrees for about a week 10 days in a row um, and there's a nice sort of mist on the ground you even get a little bit of frost so seeing these huge deer you know walking through the water antlers draped in undergrowth yeah Magic. and there's some of the sites you tend to see more around bodies of water which mm. he's got quite a few so your previous work as a zookeeper and a wildlife lecturer gave you a truckload of knowledge 
but it wasn't until your life actually took an unexpected turn that you found yourself in Kana. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, I've always always been interested in wildlife. Um, well, I've been interested in very little else, to be honest, other than wildlife. <laughs> uh, I was very lucky to get a job in a zoo quite early on. Yeah, near my parents' home at the time, so I was about 13 years old, I think. I started working oh. on weekends. Yeah, the, the, it's interesting, it was with birds, so I was a bird keeper initially. Mm. Um, so lots of storks, cranes, a lot of the species, in fact, that you see in corners. Uh, some, some of my favourites, things like um, lesser adjunct storks. They look like a marabou, so like an, an Indian version of a marabou. And I remember very well working with those and having a, a particular uh, hand-reared one called Larry, who was... <laughs> He'd choose the people he liked and the people he didn't like, he'd just try and destroy as soon as he walked into the <laughs> So I was, I was working, I was teaching. I've been teaching for about 10 years and lecturing in uh, animal management and, and conservation. And I, unfortunately, yeah, I got an autoimmune condition, uh, fairly sort of rapid onset, similar to arthritis, but very rare. And I, I had to take over six months off work and things were rapidly getting worse. I didn't get a diagnosis, so nobody really knew what was going on. And uh, I had to put my house up for sale, sort of feared the worst. I thought, well, I'm not going to be able to work. I'm not going to be able to pay my mortgage once my, you know, sick mm. leave runs out. Yeah. So um, I prepared for the worst. And thankfully, I managed to get a diagnosis, get some treatment, and things started to improve. But by then, uh, I had an offer on the house, so I took it. And it was a bit of a shake-up, really, thinking you know, I'd always I'd always fancy traveling. I'd always wanted to go to India. I'd always, you know, fantastic bird life. Uh, not so much the tigers, in fact, you know, mm. the reptiles and the birds more so. And I thought, well, you know, what if something like this happens again? What if it flares up again? And, and what if I can't? And it just this sense of urgency, you know, to, to get out there and see those things. Mm. And uh, so, so, so that's what I did. I, I, I finished my job. Not without some sacrifices, I had to move back in with my parents, mm-hmm. uh, which is where I still am. Hopefully, <laughs> 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 you know, referring to it as a, as a temporary, uh, as a, as a stopgap, but um, it's, it's not changed just yet. And I think after I'd sold my house within two weeks, yeah, I looked at the, the first place to go was India, and it was Kana. I, I did a little bit of digging around and looking at you know some of the more interesting wildlife in central India, and yeah, I, I, I got out there. Uh, and I've done quite a bit of travel since. Um, my condition hasn't changed uh, too markedly. I still have to take quite a lot of pain medication and immunosuppressants to keep it under control. So when you were actually working in the zoo, though, you did specialise in bird keeping, as you mentioned. What was it yeah. like being amongst Kana's prolific bird life? Did you have any favourites? Um, there's some really nice, sort of colourful, uh, small birds. So a lot of the flycatcher family... Mm. So we've got the paradise flycatchers. We've got these long males. We've got these long, white, streaming tails. There's also a, a brown form as well. They're both the same species, and they both occur in Kana. But mm. the white ones, in particular, when you see them flying through the bamboo forest, they're stunning little things. And there's uh, some of the calls as well. I mean, everybody you know tends to think about the visual aspect, but some of the calls of some of the species, um, some of the cuckoo family. There's a, a, a bird called a, a greater cuckoo. Mm-hmm. It's the largest member of the cuckoo family, and it's got this really distinctive call that you you know you, you just hear it and you just instantly think of you know tropical jungle. Yeah. 
What's been the most interesting behaviour you've seen or have heard about in the field? I think some of the interesting behaviour is always, you know, when you're seeing tigers interact with each other. So Mm. generally you read the literature, you talk to people, uh, and they say, you know, tigers are solitary. Of course, you know, they're probably comparing them to lions, which of course highly social. But Mm. tigers, you know, have a lot of uh, social behaviour as well. So, um, Territorial behavior is an obvious one. Mm. You get a lot of territorial behavior between males, but I also saw some interesting territorial behavior between uh, two female tigers. Mm. So there was, um, this is in Karna's own big open meadow, uh, and there's a, a female called Neelam, mm. and she's got um, three sub-adult cubs, and she sort of dominates this area called Karna Meadow. And we could Lots of vehicles were watching her. So this Neelam, she was sat there grooming herself, you know, cleaning herself in the sun and the grass. Um, some people had, had uh, seen her cubs previously in this dense uh, patch of forest, which is just uh, to one side of the meadow. And everyone's watching nice and calm, people are taking pictures, and then you could hear this, this almighty roar yeah. from this dense patch of cover where her cubs were. And the, the roar wasn't, you know, from a, a sort of adult or a cub. It was an adult, adult animal. Everyone's... Oh. It's an adult male. So adult males quite often come in and kill cubs. Uh, so the female will come into season, they get to mate with her. People were fearing, you know, for the cubs' lives, expecting to see cubs fleeing. And um, instantly, as soon as the, the roar was heard, uh, Neelam, the adult female, sort of sprinted out of the meadow, you know, quite a distance into this patch of forest. And you could see the trees shaking, you could see the bushes shaking, you could hear the roaring. So obviously, the she was fighting with what everyone assumed was another wow. male. Eventually, I quite clearly tell the difference between a male and a female. Mm. A male with a much broader head and four legs are much thicker, heavily set. And it was a female that walked out and this female had got a few cuts and her nose was bleeding. Not too much damage, but, you know, obviously been fighting with another tiger. And everyone assumed that that was Neelam and the male was in there possibly, you know, finishing off her cubs 
forestry department rangers have just turned up as well you know someone had radioed through and they were really concerned because when this happens they try and break it up yeah uh, usually you know the best course of action with wildlife is you know it's a hands-off approach but yeah. because tigers are so rare um every one of them is precious if you can you know avoid one of them being killed then that's what they do they, they will yeah. often intervene sometimes using elephants sometimes using vehicles mm. but it it, it turned out, I mean, there's an ID guide, I've got an ID guide on my phone, I checked it out, I thought, this isn't, this isn't Neelam, this is not a, it's another female, and it was, there's another female, referred to as a Link 8 female, and what had actually happened is this female had come into the uh, Neelam's territory, attacked the soft target, which is her cubs, yeah. just so that she'd be, you know, disturbed and upset, and hopefully be pushed a little bit further out of her territory, so that this Link 8 female could take some of the territory uh, and, uh, and part of Karna Meadow as her own, you know, uh, for her own cubs. So incredible. I mean, you know, this sort of, everyone everyone made these assumptions, you know, because of what they thought. It was female, yeah. It was actually female, you know, female on female, you know, aggression, which, which happens as well. It's a few things that I've missed. I mean, since I've been back in the UK, I see some fantastic uh, pictures of this... Uh, Shorty Mother, the one, the first one that I saw, mm. uh, with uh, a few of her cubs and in a waterhole, and then uh, a, a male cub of a, a the Mojave female sharing the same waterhole. Yeah. All sort of sat there out in the open, which is really unusual, you know. So sometimes, you know, there are these. But didn't he go and kill it a together. couple of days later? So I heard um, that MB2, the the one who was sharing the waterhole, a few days later has killed one of Chody Mudder's cats. Yeah, that, you're absolutely right. I mean, whilst you see these, sometimes they do share territory and, and everything seems to be getting along fine, uh, it, it does go pear-shaped. And there have been some really sort of sad examples mm. of um, females that have been killed by usually adult males. Mm. Uh, and there was one known as a Bud Buddy female. First of all, she had her cubs killed, uh, and then she was killed by the male probably the male that had tried to kill the cubs had then tried to mate with her. They'd gotten into a fight and he killed her as well and partially eaten her. So you yeah. get, you know, sometimes you get these, you know, witness these, you know, what look like, you know, moments of, you know, affiliation and even affection between tigers and then the next minute, it's war. They're, they're, they're trying to, you know, eat each other. So yeah, the, the, there is social behavior there, but it's, it's quite complicated. I think yeah. <laughs> individuals, you know, the way they approach social behaviors, they're very much down to the individual tiger. And quite volatile by the sound of it too. So I've been to Kana a couple of times and I've seen the tigers get very, very close to the open vehicles. Have you ever had any hairy moments or seen anything where the tigers have got frighteningly close? Yeah, I mean, they, they can get incredibly close. I mean, I think early on, I got some fantastic shots from a tiger that walked, this is the Chotan Muna, which is probably why it's one of my favourites, walking straight towards the vehicle oh. and almost sort of brushed alongside it. You know, I had to lift myself out of the way, take my camera out of the way, and you could smell it. But aggression, it just doesn't happen. I mean, I've never seen it happen. And there are some cases. Um, thankfully, they're very rare. Mm. But I think it's all to do with the way that the guides... And the, uh, and the tourists as well, to a certain extent, behave mm. around the tigers. So giving them space on the road. If, if you don't block their path and you let them get on with whatever they're doing, then they tend to just ignore the vehicles yeah. like they're part of the, you know, part of the forest and they see them every day. So there's no reason for any aggression. Uh, there, are, there are some cases, but they're, thankfully they're very rare. Um, but yeah, you, you feel vulnerable. You know, of course, you're, you, you've got these huge, you know, 250 kilos of, of cat, you know, walking alongside mm. you and, and 
they're open sided vehicles and the ones in India they're not like Land Rovers I mean you know yeah. they're pretty small <laughs> you know you, it wouldn't be uh, difficult for them at all to sort of jump onto a vehicle but they don't they're tiny little vehicles and you definitely feel frail when you're in them but um, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah there's yeah, nothing yeah. quite yeah. as spectacular so, as seeing them so close and in the open like that yeah, I mean, the, the, you've got to do it in an open-top vehicle, haven't you? I mean, there's, uh, some of the parks let you go in, uh, some of the smaller parks let you drive through in, a, in like a regular car, you know. But, uh, there's no adventure in that. No, there's no adventure in that, no. no. And, and to be honest, it's a bad idea because they spend quite a lot of time reversing into each other as well. <laughs> <laughs> the roads are very narrow and, you know, manoeuvring and those, those um, they call them gypsies. Yeah. Uh, these sort of little, I think they're made by... Uh, Okay, Suzuki? Uh, a combination of Tata Steel and Suzuki. Yeah. Now, you mentioned before the um, the Barra Singers. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Because Kana is quite famous for their um, their breeding program. Yeah, Barra Singers. So they're, they're one of the main reasons why you know, Kana was focused on as a, as a national park. Of course, tigers are important, but um, this uh, particular subspecies of deer, the hard ground Barra Singer, is found nowhere else was found nowhere else and actually they've actually relocated a few of them and moved them to other parks but um oh. was the last stronghold yeah. uh, and i think in, in 1972 there were about 65 individuals left and uh, is that all they put a, that's all yeah yeah very very few i mean it's a very shallow gene pool as well i mean mm. it's uh, you know, that's uh, any, any lower than that and they probably would have disappeared mm. so they want the scarcity of the species of deer was one of the main reasons why they, they focused on relocating villages. So they moved villages out of the core area of the park. They returned what was um, you know, rice paddies and, and cattle grazing back into the, the natural sort of uh, grassland and wetland that the Barasinger loved. And uh, today there are over 800 wow. uh, Barasinger in the park. So they're very proud and, and you know, it's a great success story and probably one of the best success stories of conservation in, uh, in central India, for sure. I must say, you know, India and its supposed conservation are fantastic. These, these huge, great sort of, you know, sweeping measures that they take to try and conserve species mm. is, is really admirable. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm based in England and our approach to predators is we just exterminate them. It's still the same. It's still mm. happening today. We've mm. even got, you know, we've got government-sanctioned uh, culling of species just because they, you know, are a, a potential transmitter for a disease. Mm. Other methods aren't really looked at, you know. Mm. So that wouldn't happen in India. Mm. Uh, of course, it's not without its problems, but government tends to take uh, a very sort of strong approach, mm. you know, and it works these parks work. I don't think everybody's necessarily happy with, you know, the idea of having people driving around, you know, with these endangered animals, but you look at the, the value that it places on them and the involvement of local people and employment opportunities, it just makes them such a valuable asset. Absolutely. And, and, and it's, it's, there's, there's no doubt about it, you know, that, that these, these parks like Karna have, uh, have saved tigers and have saved Barasinga and without that tourism element, you know, it just wouldn't work. You are also an exceptional wildlife photographer. Some of the photos you've got, I'm so jealous of. I wish I took them. So. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but um, what's your best advice for someone hoping to photograph in Kana? Okay. Well, uh, these, these, these tiger parks are, are hard work. A lot of people go to Africa, perhaps, for their first sort of you know exotic uh, wild animal experience. Mm. And, and wildlife there is it's easily accessible. It's everywhere. Um, 
it's everywhere. You can yeah. guarantee you're going to go yeah. out, you're going to see lions, and you're going to see giraffes, and you're going to see elephants, you know. But India, it's different. You've got dense jungle, you know, you've got individual animals moving around. It's more challenging, but it's definitely more rewarding because, you know, if you put the time and effort in, then when you get the results, you know, you, you know, or hopefully, you know, you, your, your images are going to be different and there are other species that fewer people see. Mm. So, first of all, you spend more time. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was working there, as a guiding, there's a lot of people would come maybe for, you know, one or two days and maybe fit in three or four safaris. And it's just, you, no you, you're really, you know, the, cha- you, you, yeah, it's the, the chances, uh, maybe sort of 50, 60% that you might see a tiger if that's what you're going to photograph. But if you're going to spend time there, you know, go for two weeks, spend, you know, one week in one park, maybe a week in another, or as long as you possibly can. And then your chances are much greater. You'll get mm. to know the local area as well. Mm. And getting to know your guides, you know, you, you quite often you'll get put in a, you'll be in a vehicle with a, a local guide and a, a driver uh, that maybe has come from a lodge, but also that the park employ them. But, you know, communicating with them and telling them, you know, wh- what you want. Yeah. Trying to get a unique perspective can be very, very difficult. So, you know, get to know the guides, get to know the driver that you're with. Yeah. Be friendly with them, you know, and... and They'll help you out, you know. You know they they want to they want people to be happy and to come back. And yeah. if you create a rapport with them, and they get a, a gist of what you're trying to achieve, like just telling them, okay, you know, I, I want to be at a certain distance because of the lens I'm using. Yeah. And I, yeah, those sort of things. Um, what about lenses? In terms of equipment. Yeah. Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, you mentioned lenses. What sort of equipment do you recommend? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's you know, the, I mean, the equipment isn't everything. Um, of course, you see a lot of people with lots of you know fancy gear, which you know it, it, it can have its benefits. So a full frame camera, because if you're working in woodland in particular, in forest and jungle, uh, it can be quite dark. Mm. So a full frame camera has the advantage of a full frame sensor. You know, yeah. being more sensitive to light. Quite often, in particular, tiger activity is early on in the morning later on in the afternoon uh, when the light's quite a bit lower. So uh, that can be an advantage. Of course, full-frame bodies are quite expensive, so you know, they're not necessary, but they're an advantage. Uh, and then when it comes to lenses, yeah, I mean, um, I took uh, this this season, the, the only lens I really had with me was a, a 100 to 400 mm-hmm. um, on, a, on a Canon 1DX. Mm-hmm. And, uh, That's exactly that what range, I use. Yeah. <laughs> The same one, I know. Yeah. I remember using the same the same gear. Because then they, you never know. I mean, you can have a tiger right next to you within a couple of feet, and then you know uh, they can walk off into the forest and be far away. And you need that flexibility. Um, mm. I mean, a lot of uh, professionals will take maybe like a, a seventy to two hundred on one body, and then uh, a prime lens, maybe like a five hundred millimeter prime lens on another. Mm. Um, but that takes up a lot of space, so that you know you can pick up one camera if it's a little bit closer or you know things a little bit further away but um if if you're in these small vehicles it can be it can be tricky to hold to hold on to everything at once oh yeah and using a tri- using a tripod is a nightmare yeah so don't take a tripod use a bean bag and then use the sort of side supports and they have these bars that are up behind on the on the back of the vehicle that you can put a bean bag onto as well mm-hmm. uh, a tripod's not going to help it's probably going to make things worse because you're you're tied into the vibration in the vehicle and you've got to remember you've got you know, at least two other people in the vehicle with you at the mm. same time the driver and the guy the slightest mm. movement from them you know, make things wobble a little bit so 
slightly higher shutter speed, you know, be aware of that sort of camera shake. And then I think in terms of the images, you know, trying to get good images, try and look for something different. You know, it's very difficult. When you get caught up in the moment and the animal's there and you panic and you're like, oh, oh my God, oh my God, I've seen a tiger, <laughs> and, you know, you've been I've been guilty of putting sort of, the camera you know, get down. Get it in focus, and you just—that's all you focus on. I want to get it in focus, and I'm going to click it, and I'm going to get as many shots as possible. But if you can just sort of, you know, pull back a little bit and think, okay, what's this animal going to do? What am I going to? How am I going to? You know, get, a, get the background and positioning me against something that's make, going to make it look really interesting. Uh, one of my favourite shots I got from uh, this season was a uh, again this um, Chotamuna, little Muna, the not so little little Muna. Yeah. And uh, we were following him down the road, and there was a, a wild boar started to cross the road, and he instantly sat down and waited. And crowds, of course, lots of people taking pictures, but the vehicles behind him, vehicles in front of him. And everybody thought, is he going to take it? Is he going to take this wild boar? So he just touched, took a little bit of time. I had to sort of lean far out of the vehicle, get the, uh, the wild boar in focus, and intentionally took you know everything else out of focus. So you know, you look at the image, You've got something different. You've got yeah. a cat crouched in the foreground. And you can just make out that there's a tiger there. It's, it's obviously the tiger there, but the focus is the wild boar. Yeah. So it's kind of putting you into the tiger's perspective, you know. The focus is the wild boar. That's what he's watching. Everything else around is out of mm. So just, you know, think about it. Think about, you know, trying to get something different. There's a lot of people out there all trying to take the same images. Yeah. And chances are, you know, your images are going to be the same as everybody else. So try and try and get something unusual, try and get a different perspective, if possible. Uh, maybe not on your first tiger sighting, because you won't be able to do anything else. <laughs> Even on my 20th <laughs> sighting, I put the camera down and I'm swearing with delight. Forget yeah. to take the oh, do, do you remember your first, what, what was your first tiger sighting? Oh, my first tiger sighting was in Bandavgar, yeah. which is the neighbouring park to Kana. And I've yeah. never sworn with delight so much in my life. Like it just appeared out of the... Um, I don't know what species of plant they are, but it's kind of like they come up to about your chest height. They're quite a dense shrub. And she just yeah, appeared. Yeah, a lantana, I think. Yeah, something like that. Um, and yeah. she just came out of the bush and she kind of walked alongside the vehicle, looked over towards us and snarled. And I just... Wow. It was, I was, I'm getting chills just thinking about it, but I can tell you that for me was the beginning of like a wildlife obsession with photography as well, yeah. because I had a camera with me. It was only a, it was one of the first generation, I think, of, um, of digital cameras. This would have been in the early noughties. And I didn't really know what I was doing with it, but all I knew from that was then I had to, I had to do more of it because other people needed to see how incredible that was. And you can't get that from, being in a zoo and seeing them it's just that humbling feeling of seeing that animal doing its thing and putting you in your place with a snarl it's pretty awesome yeah it's, it <laughs> is uh, and, and i mean i've been to africa and, and uh, you don't get the same experience if you see a lion you mm. know or perhaps if you see leopards because leopards are quite impressive and they're a little mm. bit more elusive but yeah i mean when people do see a tiger people lose their minds yeah but you know, occasionally, you know, you, 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 you get people, guests, and I've worked with guests that have been for a week, that stayed there for a week, and perhaps for the first, you know, four, maybe five days, they haven't seen one. So you have this build-up, you know, you, the previous days, they might have heard alarm calls, they've seen pug marks, tiger tracks in the road, you know, that have been so close. So you have this, this anticipation, you know, it's constantly, it's building and it's mm. building and building. So when it does happen, yeah, oh, people just lose their minds. 
That's actually what happened to me because I'd been in Pana National Park, which is um, further toward Kajaro, I think it's called. And yeah. we were there for like four or five days and there was nothing. It, there was not a single, we didn't see a tiger, very few animals around. So by the time, you know, in Bandavgara when I saw that female, forget it. Like I was fist pumping, I was being the obnoxious Australian. <laughs> it was just <laughs> awesome. It was so good. You keep going back, don't you? I mean, it's like... Because they're elusive, it always feels like unfinished oh. business. That's why I've, I've continued to go back to India. You know, it's, it feels like I, I want to see this. You know, I want to see territorial behaviour. I want to see, you know, a, a male tiger take down a gore. Those sort of things. You know, Absolutely. there's always so much more to see. Well, thank you so much for your time today, James. You've been such a legend. No problem. It's a pleasure. See, I told you James was a legend. You know what else is legendary? His photos. Go and check them out at JR Wildlife Photography on Facebook or head to Instagram and find him at jr.wildlife or visit his website, which is jr-wildlife.com. And of course, for more wildlife news, travels, photography, etc., head to faunagraphic.com or check us out on Instagram at faunagraphic. Catch you next time. Wild Lives by Phonographic. Follow us on Omni.fm or search for Wild Lives by Phonographic on iTunes. Subscribe today and you'll never miss an episode.